we're looking at, at, at the church in Acts, that first church, that, that church that, that, that just exploded, literally, when the Holy Spirit came. And we're looking at that, and we're looking for, for some principles. We're looking at some things. Uh, literally, what we're doing is we're looking for the blueprint that God has so that we can grow corporately as a body deeper, in our faith, but also numerically, so that we can reach our communities. And, and I believe that, that, the, that the, the, the principles and, and the blueprint is here in this early church. Uh, you know what? If, 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 if God gives us a blueprint, that blueprint's perfect, right? It has no mistakes. So we need to follow it, right? Okay. Well, that's what we're doing. We're looking at that. And we're, and we're liking this to an explosion. We've, we've talked about explosions uh, as we've introed every every lesson, and, and this morning, I, I want you to think about this. We 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 defined explosions as 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 tre- tremendous amounts of of energy forced into a small place, and when an explosion focuses that tremendous amount of energy into a small place, often that explosive energy turns objects uh, in that space into dust. I mean, literally, they're obliterated and they're spread everywhere. But that tremendous heat that takes place, that that heat energy generates very often, it it does some things. If there's sand and there are rocks there, that very often that sand, that silicone and and those rocks, literally, they're, they're melted. They're transformed into one object. Many things become one object. Those elements are melded and, and welded together and, 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 and the form becomes inseparable. That incredible heat creates a unity, literally, as everything else is blown to bits. Sometimes that happens, like I said, when rock and, and sand uh, are, are melted together. And when they cool quickly, they become what we call glass. Glass. That's what took place in a spiritual way on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God birthed that very first church in Jerusalem. That tremendous power of the Holy Spirit generated such a a potent message about Jesus Christ that the hearts of not just that 120 but that 3,000 that came to Christ on that, on that very first day, literally their hearts were welded together. They were fused together in one company, one community. If you kind of liken it back to what we were talking about, this explosion, spiritual glass was formed. And that spiritual glass had one job. And that was to perfectly reflect the person of Jesus Christ to everyone in that city who had yet to come to know Jesus Christ. The Bible calls that spiritual glass. I want you to listen to me here. Fellowship. Fellowship. Now, I forgot the kids. (laughs) I knew I forgot something. Well, if you need to go, go, okay? We're going to talk about fellowship today, true fellowship. It's one of the, one of the core principles. I, I believe along with the apostles' teaching, there's fellowship. And when those things, those things are present, the rest of the things we'll talk about over the next few weeks 
will take place. And so we're going to talk a little bit about fellowship. Acts 2.42 conveys this truth in, in a very succinct way. It just says it. Luke just says it. He doesn't explain it. He just takes for granted that we understand and that we know what it is. He says in, in, in verse 42, he says, And they, and that, that they there is the early church, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Luke doesn't explain it. He just declares it, just says it. So what is it? How can we define fellowship? Why was fellowship so vital to that first church? Why is it necessary or is it really necessary in an, in an age where, you know, we can podcast, we can, we can simulcast, we got social media. Do we really still need fellowship? Does it really matter if fellowship is present? Now listen, I, I'll be honest with you. Some of those questions are a lot easier to ask than they are to answer. As I begin digging into this passage a few weeks ago, I thought, okay, this will be a, a coaster here. I, I can, this week won't be too hard. I'll knock this one out pretty quick because I know what fellowship is. Can I just confess to you? I had no clue. Right? And I know some of you are looking at me like, you don't know what fellowship is? I didn't know the level of fellowship that Luke's talking about. Okay? And we're going to talk about that today. The, the deeper I got into it, the harder it became to define. I, I knew what it, I could, I could see it. I knew what it was, but I couldn't find words to define it. And hopefully today I'll be able to do that. So I, it's not as simple as the definitions that we use in the church when we speak. Now this is what I call the language of the church, Christianese. Y'all know what Christianese is? Okay, it's not Chinese, it's Christianese. It's we just throw words out there and we got these little trite definitions that, that we've heard or we've been taught that we really don't understand. We, we speak this language and when you, get, uh, when you get in the presence of someone who's not grown up in the church or haven't been initiated into the church who, had, who are new, they don't understand what we're talking about. When I go to Mexico, I pick up a word every once in a while. Maybe every once in a while, <laughs> okay? I have no clue most of the time what they're saying. If they say agua, I know we're going to get water. If they say baños, I know the bathroom's around. If they say adios, I know they're leaving. If they say buenos dias, I know good day. You know, but in between, I don't know what they're saying. I don't understand the language that well. And the reality of it is, even though we're a part of the church... We don't understand the language. We think we understand it. We think we have the definition. We think we understand. For instance, I'll give you one that we don't really grasp. Resurrection. We don't get that. If we did, this place would be like somebody flung a match in a firework stand. Okay? Every time we got together. We don't really understand it. We don't understand uh, when, when it, it just makes this simple statement in Acts. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. We just don't understand that. We're getting it second-hand, third-hand, 150,000th hand. We weren't there when it happened. And so sometimes we speak Christianese 
We use the language of the church without really understanding what took place. And we throw definitions around. For many believers, when you say the word fellowship, here's what they think about. It evokes visions of plates filled with fried chicken (laughs) and gravy and potatoes and casseroles and cakes and pies and an endless amount of sweet tea. Fellowships take place in the fellowship hall or they take place out under the trees on the tables. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? That's what we think. Or it may mean when a, when a variety of people from, from different walks and different you know, socioeconomic uh, places get together and, and, and they have something in common. And we call that the church. But you know what? That could easily be a political rally. That could easily be a, a hobby group or a book club or, or maybe even a high school reunion. Most of us even know the Greek word for fellowship. What is the Greek word? Koinonia. How many of you have ever heard koinonia? The majority of you. Some of you are not holding your hands up because you, you think I'm going to lead you into a bad place. I'm not. <laughs> We're so familiar with it that we've We've literally lost its meaning. We've become familiar, so familiar, that we've lost the meaning of fellowship. For most Christians, fellowship is something we do rather than something we are. When the Bible, when Luke talks about fellowship in this, in this passage, he's not talking about something you do. He's talking about a different kind of community. He's talking about about a community where Jesus is present. This this is not just the community of of a bunch of Jewish folks that got together and they're they're worshiping. This This is a community where Jesus is Lord. Where the risen Lord is present. It's fellowship. It's fellowship. Fellowship has become an action that we initiate rather than the very essence of who we are, the essence of our spirits. And I believe for us to be a a radical church in a hostile culture, we have to reclaim the depth of what true fellowship is. We have to return to our biblical roots. We have to become radical. You remember as we begin this, this study, radical doesn't mean we're revolutionaries. Radical means we are returning to our roots. That's what literally the words root meaning is. is a, it's a return to the roots. And that's what we're doing. We're returning to the roots. Luke certainly mentions now, and I don't want you to misunderstand this, he mentions the sharing of meals. And he mentions the sharing of goods. And he mentions the communion meal, the Lord's Supper. He mentions those things as specific examples of koinonia. But those are only examples, okay? We're going to look at communion. And we're going to look at sharing meals as we go through this. This is bigger than that. This is bigger than that. They're not the essence, uh, they're not the essence behind what he's trying to say here. Now the Greek word koinonia comes from a root word which means common to all. So there was something in this early church that was common to everyone. They had this in common. Now, obviously they didn't all look alike. Alright? Just look around. 
None of us look alike, right? I know what some of y'all are saying. I'm glad I don't look like you. Well, that's okay. Feelings mutual, okay? <laughs> I, we don't look alike. None of us act alike, right? Was any of you about to run a while ago as we got to worshiping? There's some of us could have acted alike. I, was, I just felt like a horse over there with a bridle in my mouth. Okay, I said, I don't need to go crazy. I got a lot to say today. I don't need to mess this up. But some of you would have, would have been happy just to stand still. You worship differently. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. Some of you were tapping your foot. Some of you were raising your hand. Some of you were clapping in time and out of time. It, it don't matter. We were worshiping, okay? I understand the out of time. I've said, I've said this before. This half of my body can't get it together. My feet can keep perfect time. But the rest of me, I can start out in time and in a minute I'm, I'm off. But we're different. So it, it, they, they didn't look alike. They didn't act alike. What they had in common was that their faith was in Jesus Christ. This word fellowship means to commune with. It means to companion with. To be a, a partaker of or, or a participant, participant in or a partner with. Literally, we, we say to have fellowship. Because they had something in common. And that common thing was their faith in Jesus Christ. And now, because they had that common thing, the Holy Spirit was fashioning them. He was molding them into a community. You think about it. They, these people were still connected to their Jewish roots. Okay, they were, they were praying at the, at the Jewish times of prayer. They were, where were they meeting at? Do you remember? In, in the temple. They were in Solomon's porch on the temple. So they were still meeting in, in the place they had always met in. They were still dressed like they always dressed. They had on, the men had their prayer shawls on, uh, the ladies had their heads covered. It, it, that's just the way, they, they still were connected to their Jewish roots. They were still connected to their families. Family was a big deal. They were still connected to their culture. But listen, in just a very short time, most of them would be expelled from those roots for the most part. They'd be kicked out of the temple. They would be banished by their families. Their culture would have would know nothing to do with them because of, of the change in the relationship they now had with Jesus Christ. They were, they were coming from all walks of life. If you, if you read Acts chapter 2, you will find there were people from all over the world who heard Peter preached that day. And those 3,000 people who were saved, they weren't just the people who lived in Jerusalem. They were from all around the world. Some of them were from Rome. Uh, some of them were from, from North Africa. Some of them were from Asia. They were from all over the world. They came from all kinds of cultures and all kinds of peoples and all kinds of, uh, of socioeconomic backgrounds. They had different ways of thinking. And yet they were driven together by Jesus Christ. If you ever, ever get a chance to worship with, with a group from another culture, I encourage you to do it. You may not know what's going on. 
Okay, you may not understand a word, but you will find your heart bonded. It's just like your family. Now, I can't explain that. But I've been to Romania. I've been to Germany. I've worshipped with, with, with the, the, the folks in, in Potus, Mexico. And I may not have a clue. I know the songs. I just can't sing them because they're singing them in their language. And my brain short circuits. I just can't do it. But it's like, man, the family's here. I'll never forget. And I've shared this story before. When I went to Israel the first time, we went... Uh, to look at, at, uh, at, I believe it's the pool of Bethesda. There's no pool there, and it's 25 feet down below the surface of what the streets are today. But there's a church there. And it's, it's, that, that church, uh, it was built in honor of, of Mary's mother and father. That, that's, I couldn't tell you the name of it, but when you go in there, it's perfect. It's acoustically perfect. And I remember us standing in there, and, 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 and they begin to sing Hallelujah. And there were people from all around the world. And you could hear the different languages, but when that word was spoken, everybody was in perfect unison. It was one. And I, I remembered thinking, this is what heaven's going to be like. And, and I felt so at peace. And I felt, I mean, there were, there, were, there were red, yellow, black, and white people there. There were, there were from everywhere. That's the way this early church looked. That's the way they looked. Their culture, their families, their friends. And eventually their, their, their religions would turn against them because the Holy Spirit was melting their differences and He was forming a new community where they had far more in common than just race. Far more in common than just a, a social or a financial status. They no longer fit in any other community. You know why we struggle so much? Because we still want to fit in that old community. We still want to be a part. We want to be popular. Listen, popularity is good, all right? But it fades, all right? You can be on top of the world today and in five minutes be in the pit. That's the way popularity is. But there was a oneness of spirit that occurred when, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And their fellowship, that fellowship they had with the Holy Spirit gave them fellowship with one another. And that feeling united them and it bound them together as a community. I want you to listen to, as I say this, as a fellowship in fellowship. They were not just a community. They were a community in fellowship. They were one. They were one. They were participating in life together. They were sharing their lives in a myriad of ways. And, 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 and here's what Philippians, here's how, they, here's how Paul puts it in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship, there's our word, any partnership, any communion, any sharing of the Spirit, if any affection... And compassion. Then listen to what he says. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. Verse 2 there in Philippians. Explains verse 1. It, it gives the meaning. And it paints a, a very vivid portrait of that first church. They were unified. 
They were intent on, on one purpose. And, and, and they were intent on being the living, breathing, literal body of Jesus Christ to people around them who didn't know who Jesus was. They were not 3,125 examples of diversity and division. They were one voice. One image, one body representing the crucified and the risen Savior. And, and when you observe them interacting, if we could have been there and we could have watched them from a distance, when they interacted with, with themselves and, or they interacted with strangers, you saw Jesus. When you spotted them in the marketplace at the early Walmart in Jerusalem, you saw Jesus. You don't see Jesus very often at Walmart. Maybe we need to be Jesus at Walmart. When you witness them interacting with their employees or, or, or with their family, you saw Jesus. They had become a community participating in life together. Maybe the, the clearest way to define what I'm trying to say is, 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 of, of what fellowship means in Acts 2.42 is, is kind of dig into to a little meaning of the word as it was used in, in the secular realm of the Greco-Roman world. Now listen, I'm going to say this up, up front. I don't, my desire is not to offend anybody, but this word means what it means. All right? It means what it means. Genuine fellowship is a very intimate word. All right? Very intimate. And real intimacy, that into me you see kind of relationship, that kind of partnership or, or friendship or community is really rare in the modern world. You will never have intimacy on Facebook. You'll have lots of friends. There'll be a huge posse seeing what's going on, but there's no intimacy. There's a generation arising that doesn't know what intimacy is. They think it's sex. And it's not. It's fellowship. It's heart-to-heart -heart connections. That's what intimacy is. Folks, i got to go on. It's better in our culture to stay away from intimacy because the idea of transparency scares people to death. Can I just say something? The emperor has no clothes. And none of his subjects do either. God sees right through the facade. And the reason he, he, he brought the church together is so that we could see one another's needs and meet them. That's what this group was doing. They could see into the heart of brothers and sisters. And, and there were some messed up people in this church. Listen, they had come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of, of, of horrendous childhoods. Some of them were slaves. Some of them had, 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 had their, their, their nations had been destroyed by the Romans. They'd seen everything. And yet there's, there's intimacy here. But you know what? It's better in our culture to look good than to feel good. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's a lot better to look good than to feel good, even though what's inside of us is killing us. We're willing to participate in life with one another just so far. 
Listen, I'll go as far as, but I don't really want to know what's going on in your life. And I'm not going to share everything that's going on in my life. Koinonia, fellowship, literally, is a two-sided relationship. It can't be one-sided. But we'd rather live behind the masks than say, you know what? I don't have it all together. I'm not okay. We want everybody to think we are okay. And that we've got it all together. Let me drop a bomb on you. Nobody in here has it okay. We're all messed up. You've heard me say that. None of us are okay unless we are in Jesus Christ. And none of us will ever become healthy apart from community. Apart from the body of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus. And Jesus set this thing up in such a way that we couldn't get healthy, completely healthy, unless we had his body to minister to us. So we need Jesus. The head and the body. That's not two different things, by the way. That's one thing. It's a unit. His body goes with his head. Y'all tracking with me? The church and Jesus are not two different things. The church and Jesus are Jesus complete. Okay? (coughs) Maybe. Now, let me get back to the the meaning of fellowship. In in the Greco-Roman world, it meant to express the commitment and the oneness characteristic of marriage. That's literally what it meant. Fellowship was intimate, joint participation of life. It was a two-sided relationship of giving and taking in which there was total participation. Complete. Every, everybody was all in. Total impartation. It was absolute. And complete fellowship. Maybe the best way to describe uh, the use of the synonym that I'm, I'm, I'm about to share of koinonia, it, it intimately defines fellowship, and, and that's the word intercourse. Okay, Now, automatically our, our mind jumps to something, but that's the word, it's intercourse. It's a picture of that intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. It's the contact, the the communication, the interaction, the association that they have, a couple has together. It's the picture of two becoming one flesh. Remember what we talked about with the the heat of an explosion? It, It turns everything into one. That's what fellowship does in the body of Christ. It makes us one. We're not 75, 85, 100 different people. We're supposed to be one. One. It's the picture of two becoming one. When Luke uses the word koinonia here, when he uses it to describe the early church, he's using it to describe a unity. One person. One. He says they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. I believe what he was trying to do was illustrate the intimate joint participation of a marriage relationship, the oneness, the total interaction, the connectedness that God intended. Not 3,125 parts of a body, but one community, one fellowship, one church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that kind of fellowship turns the body upside down And inside out. 
There's no hidden agendas in that kind of body. There, there's no uh, judgment or condemnation zones. There's no, politicals, uh, no political agendas, no politics. There's no I, me, or my. And there's nothing to control. In, in this kind of, of atmosphere, in this kind of fellowship, there's acceptance. And there's encouragement. And there's, there's health. And there's confrontation confrontation there's assistance there's assistance there's growth and there's a new level of life in the spirit guys this kind of life is redeeming it's reviving it's refreshing and it does take a community of fellowship in fellowship to produce this kind of life so what does this kind of fellowship look like fleshed out. I mean, can we just put our hands on it for a minute and, and get away from all these definitions? Well, let me, let me give you some passages. I'm going to go through these really quick. I would encourage you to write them down. But perhaps by looking at the one another passages in the New Testament, we can see the illustration of what a true fellowship looks like experientially. Scripture commands us in Romans 12, verse 10, to be devoted to one another. So we're supposed to be devoted to one another. It tells us in Romans 12, 10, the B part, to give preference to one another in honor. That means put your brother or your sister ahead of you. Now listen, I've been to fellowships where they had chicken and dressing. I served in a church for four years. And you know how many times I got a piece of chicken in those four years? A zero. When they said amen, woof. When I got to the chicken bowl, the pulley bone was swinging. I finally got a piece of chicken when we told them we were leaving and that I really liked chicken. There was four or five plates of it that's coming out of my ears. That, that's, that's not what he's saying. He, he wants us to give preference, to give place to everyone else except ourselves. Then he tells us in Romans 12, 16, to be the same mind toward one another, to have the same mind. In Romans 15, 7, he tells us to accept one another. Accept one another. Galatians 5, 13, we're to serve one another. Ephesians 4.32. We're to be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving. Kind. Tender hearted. Forgiving. Not harsh. Mean. And ugly. He says in Colossians 3.16. With all wisdom. We're to teach and admonish one another. We're to encourage and teach each other. I, there's never a Sunday that goes by that I don't learn something from you. Somebody, somebody here always teaches me about something. That's what we're supposed to do. We're to teach one another. And we're to admonish one another, to encourage one another. In Hebrew, or excuse me, uh, in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we're to encourage one another. We're to build up one another. We're to edify. That's the word. We're to encourage and we're to edify. We're not to discourage and tear down. We're to encourage and build up. Hebrews 10.24 We're to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. 
I just love that one. Some of us get here and we're banged up. We're beat up. It's been a tough week. We need somebody to plug us in and send a shock through our bodies to get us back on track. We need stimulated. You ever been to the chiropractor? And he put that thing on you. It's got those leads. I just tell him, I say, turn it up. Well, you want me to go farther, 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 more, more, more. My back is jumping. The nerves, they're stimulated. They feel good. That's what this passage is saying to us. We're to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Some of us need some encouragement to love other people. We've been banged and beat up. Some of us have tried and tried and tried, and every time we try to do something good, it, it comes back on top of us and, and smothers us. So you know what? We need to be encouraged every once in a while. So we're to stimulate each other to, to, to love and to good deeds. Then he says this in 1 Peter 4, 9. He says, be hospitable to one another. Hospitable. And then finally, and I think this one sums up all of them, in 1 John three eleven, he says, and we're to love one another. And when we love somebody, we love them unconditionally. It's not love what you can do for me. It's love in spite of what you do. That's what true fellowship is. That's what true biblical koinonia looks like. And you know what? This is not just something that happens. This just doesn't happen. It is a purpose choice that we have to continually, to, to use the words that, that Luke uses here in, in, in Acts chapter 2, we have to continually devote ourselves to. It's a job. How many of y'all realize salvation is free? Amen? Everybody would agree with me. Relationship ain't. Relationship is hard work. Especially when, when Jesus has done everything he needed to do and the rest of us haven't. So relationship is tough work and, and, and that's what this is. This is relationship. It's, it's fellowship. True fellowship is a committed surrender of our independent selves to the intimacy involved uh, to involve ourselves and to jointly participate corporately in the lives of other people and their faith and the faith community. In genuine fellowship, I bows to we. Mine submits to our. Koinonia fellowship is really agape love. You know that word, don't you? That's, that's the unconditional kind of love that God gives us. God's unconditional love. Fully expressed. Listen to me. Don't miss this. To the level you have true koinonia with your brothers and sisters in Christ is the level you can expect to experience with Jesus Christ. You can't have the relationship you need with Jesus unless we have the relationship we're supposed to have. This is a, a two-way street. Here's us. Here's the body. Here's Jesus. As we grow closer together, guess what happens? We get closer to Jesus. As we get farther away from each other, guess what? We get farther away from Jesus. That's just the way it works. As we grow closer, guess what? It's a trinity there, in a sense. And I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again. After all, you know what? The church is the body of Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't go anywhere without the body. And the body shouldn't go anywhere without Jesus, the head. The Apostle John sums it up in this way. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, you want me to tell you what it says in the Greek? Y'all interested? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, or you could put his sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. The only way we can love God like we're supposed to is to love one another. If I can't love you and you can't love me, we're going to be hindered in our love of Jesus. That's what John's saying. Now, listen, just as the heat of that explosion will often fuse countless rocks and grains of sand into glass, so too, you know what? The Holy Spirit will fuse our hearts and our minds uh, together. He'll take a group of individuals and make them into a community, a fellowship in fellowship. And just as that glass reflects whatever uh, images is pus- placed before it, so too a community of believers who have become one reflect the image of Jesus Christ. And listen, when you start reflecting Jesus, when people look at you and they see Jesus instead of you, they're dumbfounded. They want to know what's going on. You say, well, I don't witness very well. Listen, all you got to do is tell them what Jesus did for you. You say, well, I don't know all the Bible verses. Listen, the Holy Spirit will do whatever you need if you'll just look like Jesus. And I'll just look like Jesus. If we reflect His image, if His body looks like His body, people will get saved. Because they want Jesus. They want Jesus. They just don't want a body. They don't want to be a part of a body that doesn't look anything like the head. Like I say, just as that glass mirrors whatever is seen through it, a community of believers that enjoy true fellowship, they mirror perfectly the Lord Jesus. I'm going to end with this. This is the principle I want you to get. get. True fellowship is explosive. It's explosive. And it's essential in producing a radical church in a hostile culture. Listen, we come from all different walks of life. We come from different parenting. We come, we have different backgrounds. We had different things that happened to us as children, as young adults. Some of them good, some of them bad. Some of us are going through things right now that scare us to death. We don't know what to do. But you know what? All those differences, if we allow the Holy Spirit to bring us together, disappear. If we get real and we get honest with each other, and we don't judge each other, we just love each other. You know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will bring us together and there will just be one body. There won't be a bunch of individuals sitting in chairs all over the room and in the fellowship hall and in the children's department. There'll be one. And if you study scriptures very closely, whenever there is unity... There's victory. Good and bad. 
The problem is there's rarely unity in anything. You get two or three of us together and we got 1,290 different opinions. We want to go in a hundred different ways and we think our purpose is whatever. Listen, if we just get on the same page, the Holy Spirit would show us our purpose. He would, he would take the things that irritate you about me and the things that irritate me about you and he would get rid of those things. They would drop by the wayside because they're not important. He would shake that stuff off of us. And all of a sudden, we would begin to function as one. And I, I, I just am always reminded when I talk about unity and I, and I think about being one, I think back to the Tower of Babel, and I think about what God says. As long as they speak the same language, there's nothing they can't do. I didn't say that. God said it. So if we're united, there's no thing we cannot do in Jesus' name. But we need true fellowship. Listen, I think we're on the way, but I don't think we have but just scratched the surface of it, okay? But if we can become one, God will use us. It will blow our minds. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.